Hello and welcome to Storytelling Podcast Week. This is Podbean's head of events, Norma Jean Belenke, and I'm here to tell you a little bit about today's interview. It's a replay of a live stream interview we conducted last week with journalist and podcaster Yuri Mastarsky and producer Stevie Manns. Yuri and Stevie have been working on a podcast called Fighting for Ukraine, where Yuri shares his experience on the ground as a member of the Territorial Defense Army in Ukraine, fighting for their freedom. Stevie's based in New York, and they both spoke about what it was like to create this body of work, and Yuri really shared what his experience has been like on the ground, the day-to-day, what his hopes are, and so much more. When we reached out to Yuri, we originally had wanted to schedule this interview in April, and he mentioned he's in an active war zone and he doesn't know what's going to happen. After we conducted this interview with Yuri, he had to leave Kiev and won't be back or publishing episodes until possibly later this week at the earliest. So we wish Yuri all the best, and you'll be able to find the link for Fighting for Ukraine, as well as the GoFundMe campaign to support Yuri in the show notes for this episode. Thank you again for joining us. Storytelling Podcast Week is brought to you by Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetization platform and home to over 600,000 podcasts. Thank you for joining us for this very special episode. We're glad you're here. Hello, everyone. Hello and welcome to this special Storytelling Podcast Week live interview today. For everyone joining us here live and for the replay, we're joined today by Yuri Mastarsky and Stevie Manns. Yuri is a Ukrainian journalist based in Kyiv who has spent the majority of his career covering war zones and has teamed up with Stevie Manns, a podcast consultant and producer based out of the U.S. to create the podcast Fighting for Ukraine that documents Yuri's daily experience on the front lines of the war in Ukraine. And they've been gracious gracious enough to join us live here today to speak about Yuri's experience on the front lines and documenting the situation and realities on the ground. So hello and welcome, Yuri Mastarsky and Stevie Manns. Hello and thank you very much for thank you very much for interesting in our affairs. Thank you very much for 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 all you have done for Ukraine to help our, uh, us in our fight. Thank you. Absolutely. And so Yuri, for for those of us watching around the world, tell us a little bit about what's happening for you right now. Uh, right now, I'm a, I'm serving as a soldier, as a private soldier uh, in a, a territorial defense unit. Uh, almost a month ago, tomorrow it will be, you know, the month I decided to join. It was the second day of the war. I volunteered to join the territorial defense units. It's a part of the Ukrainian armed force. Uh, it's meant by people who are, um, who were the civilians, you know, who, uh, have, who have no military experience or have been in the army years ago. So there are no real uh, prof, uh, profit ser- servicemen in this uh, in this units. So they are managed only by men and women uh, with with peaceful background. So a month ago, a month ago, I was a journalist, uh, but now for almost a month, a month without one day, I am a soldier in this uh, in this unit. We have some kind of training. We have you know, I'm already get my my uniform. First a couple of weeks I was, you know, I was wearing only civilian. We don't have, we don't need to, there is no, you know, any order to wear uniform, no any order to wear um, military boots. We have only one order is to, to have our rifles always with us. Now I have in my rifle with me and my uniform with me. And uh, um, our platoon, our platoon is already uh, involved uh, in a, in a standoff uh, with the Russians in uh, one of the uh, Kievan suburbs. Uh, so we have some kind um, of rotation. So one of our comrades is uh, uh, is guarding uh, streets of Kiev, and at the same time, uh, our our um, comrades is serving on the on the front lines, uh, protecting the professional servicemen uh, from, uh, you know, from the attacks from the rear and uh, uh, from the flanks. So very soon it would be also my turn to go to the suburb. It would be my turn to to face uh, uh, to face Russian directly. Wow. Okay. And it it sounds like your unit, like you mentioned, people in in your unit had different jobs a month ago. I mean, yeah, you are a journalist. Yeah. What are some of the other jobs that the people in your direct unit are ha- previously did? 
I can tell you, first of all, uh, I joined the Territorial Defense Unit with, uh, with my colleague. We, we have, before the war, we have had our, our own daily radio show. Yeah. So we worked together for a couple of years, and we both joined the Territorial Defense Units. We both, you know, volunteered to go to the Army. We also have in our unit the guy who is one of the most famous Ukrainian playwrights of modern times. Uh, we have some kind of very interesting story about him. One of the largest uh, United States uh, magazine. I don't remember. Was it uh, New Yorker or something like that? Because, you know, it was you know, three weeks ago or something like that. Uh, we uh, discovered that he's, this guy, the writer, the playwright, he's serving as a private in one of the platoons. So this guy, this guys, guys from this, uh, from this magazine called us, telephoned, telephoned us, and said to us, "Oh, we really want to to talk to Max. Can you please manage? Uh, uh, we have a guy who is working for us in Kiev, and he really wants to uh, to meet with Max and to make an interview with him, to make some photos of him. Can you please bring Max to to this guy to 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 talk to to us?" And I, I came to, to Max and told him, hey, you know, uh, you know, the, the guys from uh, New York, you know, uh, it's trying to, 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 to find you. They want to make an interview with you. They want to make some kind of huge article about your experience. He's writing uh, right now. He's writing some kind of, uh, of uh, script for theater script about our platoon this guy. So uh, but, wow. and he was he was standing. Uh, he was guarding. Uh, you know, the doors, the gates of our platoon. And he said, oh, I don't know uh, if I can go because, you know, I need to, st to stay here. I need to guide our, com uh, our comrades. I need to, to protect them. So maybe uh, after, my, um, after my duty, maybe after that, I can, I can go to talk to someone who are, you know, who came for, from United States to talk with me. So we have this kind of guy in a, in a neighboring platoon, the platoon, uh, the positions which, which, which had the position close to us. We have, for example, the guy who was uh, the counselor of one of the ministers uh, okay. of, uh, of the Ukrainian government. And he's the clown, the clown guy who was a clown. Uh, and he was a clown. He's, he, he's from a circus family. So, so uh, a clown his from a circus. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have yeah. Uh, we have we have a young girl who was uh, um, a biologist in the peacetime. Um, we have a girl who was a makeup artist before the war. Wow. Uh, okay. We have in our platoon the guy who was a millionaire. He's a businessman. He was a millionaire, a real millionaire with millions of dollars. You know. So yeah. a lot of people from. Uh, from very different, you know, background, yeah. uh, with uh, with uh, very different uh, origins. So we have Ukrainians, we have Russians in our platoon, we have uh, some Crimean Tatars in our platoon. The people from different religious background, you know, from you know, yeah. that's some kind, you know, of of Ukrainian miniature. No, that's because you know hundreds of um, hundreds of thousands tens of thousands at least people volunteered to join territorial defense units wow very yeah, different wow. people no that's that's incredible so it really sounds like it's such uh, an array of people from you know the the span of what a society has right like a, someone who works in the civil government you're a journalist a playwright a makeup artist a professional clown from a circus like it's really, it's really kind of a mixed, a really mixed group in your platoon. And I think that really is representative of how the Ukrainian people have come together in this moment to fight for Ukraine. Um, and, and many people are saying that the Ukrainian people have truly risen to the historic moment in defending your country, you know, in, in so many ways. So as, as a Ukrainian, what are you most proud of as a Ukrainian? You see, first of all, of course, I'm proud of my people. I'm proud of, you know, yeah. of uh, all these, you know, of all these internal borders disappeared immediately, yeah. right after the war. There is no any, you know, any uh, thoughts, any, any uh, fights uh, because of, you know, of political views. 
There yeah. is no any differences in religion. There is no right now. There is no any differences even in language. It's it's you know it's really a painful question. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. It's really painful question in Ukraine for 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 a long time. The question the language question. Now it's gone. Oh, you know we have as as I told you already. We became some kind you know of uh, not even the one family. We became one huge military unit. Yeah, well, wow. called Ukraine, men, women, older, younger, we, all of us, we came, yeah. we became one, one huge military unit. Yeah, no, I, I'm hearing that. It's, it's, wow. You know, I think when people see what's on the news, it, it doesn't really capture all the time, the, the human aspect of it and how people's lives which were so full, you know, even a month ago with pedestrian things, right. Of the day to day that everyone really has come together for one purpose and with one mission, and that's to defend the country. So it's really incredible. Um, and just also for, for people who may be listening and that don't have context in the past, you mentioned there was like a language, um, question of maybe which language people were using. What are the languages that people are using on the ground? Of course, we have only one, <clears throat> only one uh, uh, language, which is state yeah. language. It's Ukrainian language. Yeah. But uh, uh, historically, a lot of people in uh, eastern part of Ukraine and in central part of Ukraine, uh, historical, historically, there yeah. are a lot of Russian-speaking persons, you know. And uh, uh, the, uh, the presence of the Russian-speaking persons, uh, Russia... Uh, used as excuse for you know for uh, intruding in our uh, local affairs in our yeah. uh, in 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 our deals. So uh, for a long time, you know, it was some kind of we have before we have a lot of uh, pro-Russian politicians in Ukraine for pro-Russian parties. Of course, we're in such of you know yeah. of decline right now, but no one cares. What kind of language do you speak right now? Yeah. No one, no one cares uh, if you are, you know, if you are talking Russian or Ukrainian because, uh, because we have much more important things right now to do. We have yeah. much, much more, um, you know, much more difficult, much more uh, bloody things to do right now than to, to argue about what language do you need to use or what language do you don't need to use. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for providing that context. I think people outside of the immediate region don't understand a lot of the nuances culturally that have been a large part of, of the country, you know, as a whole and in its history. In terms of in terms of people who aren't in Ukraine, what do you wish everyone outside of, of Ukraine to know about what's going on? I would like uh, to say to you that you know uh, we are facing we are facing the real genocide. We are facing the real genocide, like it was. You know, I can compare it to the genocide of uh, Bosnian people during the war uh, after the collapse of Yugoslavia. I've been in uh, in Sarajevo. Maybe some of our listeners and viewers uh, also been there. Uh, Sarajevo is the capital of uh, uh, of uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and. Uh, in the center of of this, uh, of this, it's one of the most beautiful cities of, of the world. Believe me, it's a, it's really, really beautiful city. And uh, every every park, every green alley in uh, this beautiful city is full of uh, of graves. You know, people are literally walking. Uh, you know, kids are literally running. Couples are re- literally kissing each other on the graveyard, you know, because everywhere right. is graves. It was, it's because the Sarajevo for almost uh, four years was under siege. So the people who lived there, they don't have access to any graveyards, to any real graveyards, to bury their beloved ones, to bury their children, their parents. So they just, you know, they just dig graves where they found some place to 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 bury their loved ones. So exactly the same is now happening in a few cities and towns of Ukraine. As exactly the same is right now while they are talking to you mm-hmm. is happening for example in Mariupol. Mariupol it's a city in, in Donbass, it's Donbass region 
it's close to it's on the shore of uh, Azov Sea and uh, it's now it's destroyed by Russian rockets and Russian bombs uh, yeah. it's uh, almost completely destroyed and you know uh, just today I saw uh, I saw a picture you know of a note of some of the family members uh, to other family members uh, from from Mariupol uh, yeah. This person wrote by hand, you know, it's it, it, it's it, it person wrote, uh, the mother died at the beginning of the March. I couldn't find the place to bury her except for a, uh, for a kid's playground near the school. And after that, you know, after all these words, there was a scheme where to find the grave. Right. Wow. You you can you imagine it? Wow! So these people who are telling you and telling us that they are come here to protect us from some kind of some kind of Nazis or something like this, they are killing civilians people right now. So civilians in Ukraine, when it was in in Sarajevo, all the people said, "Oh, it's 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 impossible to see. It's it's it it really was." Terrible, horrible story, but you know it. It this story is repeating right now. Yeah. Because world, world don't you know don't teach this this lesson very carefully, and we are facing the same way. Trying, you know, they're trying to erase Ukraine and Ukrainians. They don't want us to exist at all. So you know, as Putin wrote in his mad, bloody articles, that there is no such a thing like Ukrainian nation. There is no such a thing like Ukrainians in uh, his eyes and in the eyes of a bloody majority of Russians. We are not real, you know, we're not real nation. We are not real people. We are some kind of misguided uh, Russians uh, who need right. to be to, to, to be, you know, returned yep. uh, under Russian rule or, or destroyed. Yeah. And I think. Uh, being in the West, I think we've heard some of that uh, from that side. And it's definitely something where, you know, being in Ukraine on the ground while that's happening and and not even being able to bury your dead is, is as you mentioned, really a human rights. Um, yeah, it's really a moment. Um, you mentioned also being in Sarajevo for the conflict that happened there and being a journalist on the ground. So in terms of seeing a similar situation in your own home country. Um, and this question, I mean, please answer how, how, how you feel, but has it provided you any additional insight or skills in terms of, um, being able to communicate what's going on? You know, I've been in Sarajevo after the war. I've, I've been in Sarajevo after decades, decade, yeah, it was decade after the war. But yeah. I, I've been at other wars. I've been in Syria. I've yeah. been in Iraq, in Kyrgyzstan, in Gaza Strip, and uh, of course, I have some kind of uh, experience working in such of con- such of conditions. And I want to tell you what you know. I've been in uh, Iraq, in Mosul, during the offensive on this Mosul while Mosul was in the hands of ISIS. So it was, uh, you know. A little bit like a world war because uh, very different right. nations were in advance capturing and uh, freeing, liberating Mosul from um, from ISIS. We were guys from United States. We were local Kurds and Arabs. We were guys even from Canada, from New Zealand. So all the world were fighting against the ISIS, and of course, uh, ISIS wo- was also multinational forces in, in Mosul. And uh, right. when uh, this offensive began, uh, I was um, I was with one of the platoon of, of the Kurds who were advancing uh, uh, right on the highway. They, they, were, they were advancing uh, through the highway to to the to the Mosul. So when it was clearly that offensive is is now, you know, it's it's begins it's it's began. And it's clear that uh, the fighting will, you know, for Mosul will start soon. ISIS let, I think not the all, but a lot of uh, civilians left uh, Mosul and uh, uh, suburbs of Mosul. So I saw thousands of refugees 
who managed to flee Mosul and his surround in the surroundings. Yeah, Russians Russians are doing not the same. We're doing the opposite. We are using uh, civilians first of all as a, you know as a, some kind of uh, of uh, living shield. And they also, you know, they are making sieges, they are uh, targeting civilian districts, they are targeting, they are targeting uh, schools, they are targeting hospitals, including right. matern maternity hospitals. Uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, a friend of mine from Kharkiv, uh, who was a historian uh, in previous time, he said to me that... Uh, uh, for only two weeks of of war, Russia destroyed more buildings, civilian buildings in Kharkiv. On for only two weeks, more than Nazis destroyed during the whole Second World War. Wow! And now it was two weeks ago. Wow! Two weeks later, right now, the number of uh, of destroyed buildings in Kharkiv doubled. You see. So for a month of the war, they destroyed twice more buildings in Kharkiv than right. Nazis did during the whole uh, Second World War. You know, okay. uh, yeah, my, so pa my, my parents lived under constant rocket fire and constant uh, artillery shells uh, in Kharkiv for more than, than a week since the war began. We, you know, we, we spent a week without, uh, without electricity, without water, without anything and under constant fire. So we don't have any opportunity even to leave the flat and to go to subway station where, uh, where the uh, shelter uh, was located. Wow. Okay. So it's definitely, it's definitely different with the targeting of civilians on the ground. I'll just reintroduce you briefly um, for everyone who's joined live um, and watching the replay. We're joined here today by Yuri Mostarsky and Stevie Mans. Yuri is a Ukrainian journalist based in Kyiv who spent the majority of his career covering war zones and has teamed up with Stevie Mans, a podcast consultant and producer out of the U.S. to create the podcast Fighting for Ukraine. And that documents Yuri's daily experience on the front lines of the war in Ukraine. So they're joined here today for this special live stream for Storytelling Podcast Week. I want to pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about fighting for Ukraine because you've been able to document the on-the-ground experience that you've had um, from March 9th, you know, from very early in what's been going on and to share daily with people around the world in the form of a podcast about what's been going on. So, um, and this question, Stevie, I'd love if you, if you jumped in as well. Um, you know, what was the providing for Ukraine and the podcast like, you know, in, in such short notice, you know, cre creating um, a show. And, and honestly, I think of it almost like a, like a, a living narrative as, as, you know, as you are sharing daily what's been going on. Um, what was, I mean, what was the impetus to create a podcast from, from what's going on on the ground and, um, how did it all come together so quickly? <clears throat> yeah, I'll, um, I'll oh. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll, oh. <laughs> yeah, Stevie, let's start with you and then, and then Yuri jump in. Okay. So Yuri sent an email, um, I think it was actually March 9th, uh, to a, a group of audio producers and consultants and said, hello, my name is Yuri. Uh, only two weeks ago I was a journalist, but now I'm defending the army in Ukraine from Russian aggression. I'm open for interviews, commentaries, and I'm happy to collaborate to report on what's going on in Ukraine currently. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said, I have a notebook and a recorder, and I really want to record and write things all around me every day to be published for a Western audience. And as a podcast producer, I looked at that and said, this is a daily podcast. This is what it can be. And I responded to Yuri probably within about an hour of him sending it and said, I think this is a podcast. Do you want to do it? Yeah. And Yuri was so receptive and I'm so grateful for the trust that he put in me to go, yeah, okay, go, go, go for this. And I, we, we suggested a couple of names. I came up with the, the cover and Yuri just said, yep, that's great. He sent me the first episode and we managed to have it published and up on Apple within about six hours of this initial conversation, which I think, in, you know, if, if anyone's produced and published a podcast to get it up on Apple within six hours, that's a, that's a feat. It is. Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And um, for those of you who are joining us live, this is actually, I think, the first time you two are connecting on video chat. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. And I think it's something where as, you know, being on the other side of the world, it can be something where we all want to help or give back. And, and the way that, you know, you were able to contribute was really to work with Yuri on this podcast. So incredible. Um, and, and Yuri, how did it come together from your end? I mean, how did the, you know, you reached out to a group of podcast producers in New York, but how did the idea to format your experience in a podcast come together? For for a week of my life, I've been just a soldier. You know, I don't have for 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 a whole week. I don't have any any experience in working as a journalist and talking to to my foreign colleagues. Uh, uh, it uh, it was before um, some of our commanders discovered that in his platoon he have guys who had been a journalist. You know, so my first my first week in the, in the army was a, a normal week. I was manning you know the checkpoints. I was patrolling the street, but yeah. Sudden, suddenly, uh, our local commander ran to me with a huge white, uh, huge white eyes opened, and he was pale, you know, as a as a as a paper. And he said, "What? What did you done? What have you done?" I said, "I don't know." We wanted to see in the headquarters, so he took me to the headquarters, and we discovered that some of our commanders in the headquarters, he was my listener while I was, you know, a, a radio anchor. And he said, oh, you have here, we have here uh, my favorite, uh, uh, my favorite radio anchors, uh, Yuri and Pavlo, I want you to, uh, to, to be in touch with foreign journalists who comes to, to Ukraine, who comes to Kiev uh, to cover what's going on in here. So please, guys, we have a lot of requests from uh, uh, from uh, from people from uh, different uh, uh, European, American, and so on countries, from, from journalists from these countries. So please um, be in contact with them. And if you wish to, please find new ways to to tell the truth about what's going on. Find the new persons who will uh, will uh, tell the world about our fight, who will tell the world about our problems, our needs, and so on. So. I wrote a message to a friend of mine. She's really a nice friend of mine. She's living. Uh, she's a refugee from Russia. She's been, she, she's she left Russia long long ago. She lives in the United States and she's living in uh, in Arizona State. As and as I know, she's also you know some kind of huge person in a podcast business. Uh, I wrote her a message uh, asking her. What can be done in such a way? What what should I do to to tell the story of our fight? To tell the story of our freedom fight? To uh, to white uh, white Western audience. So she she uh, somehow uh, managed to include me in in this uh, um, in this journalist and podcasters um, letter or I don't know or I don't know how to call it. And uh, uh, she said to me, "You need to write down all all you can do for for a Western journalist and for people who are doing podcasts. Uh, introduce yourself and uh, um, left some context how with which people can can talk, contact you." So I made all of it, and in I think in an hour or even less than an hour, Stevie uh, wrote me and, and said, "Oh, we are ready to 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 do." We are ready to to do a podcast with you. We have some kind of of uh, team to to work for for you. So that's how all this started. Fantastic! Wow, and you know the the podcast episodes, um, which we'll get into in, in a minute. You know, really cover a real breadth of experience, right? From uh, barbecues to weddings to going out on patrol. You know, and and I think when people think about being in an active conflict, they don't, you know, the, the picture of um, the full spectrum of your experience isn't always um, top of mind. And so for you to share the real daily aspects of it um, has been, you know, just incredible for people to be able to know what it's like on the ground and and to to hear your experience. It's It's really been incredible. And the fact that it came together so quickly, I think sometimes when 
when the message is, is important and when it's meant to be shared, it, everything just kind of, you know, snaps into place. Um, and it sounds like from, from both of you that that's pretty much what happened, you know, from the production standpoint and, you know, getting on Apple in six hours, which I mean, with Podbean, we host many, many podcasts, like over 600,000 podcasts, you know, and we tell people it can take, you know, up to a week to be approved by Apple <laughs> to get on Apple podcasts. It can, it can take some time. Um, and, you know, just to, to have that vision and to really be, I think, I think there is a vulnerability also with what you're sharing because it's, it's not always, this is the catchy headline, you know, this is, it's not always, you know, this is what the news is telling you. It's, 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 this is my exact experience, right? Like you're, you're sharing exactly what's going on for you on the ground. And yes, you're including the important parts of what's been going on, but you're also including the, the, the entire, I want to say like the, like the, the, the roundness of your experience, like that you, you fully filled it out, I think for a lot of people. Um, maybe, yeah. I just want to jump in there because I really think that it speaks to how good a journalist that Yuri is, the way that he's able to tell these stories in three minutes. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember he, he gave me the first one and I did not know what to expect when I said, Hey Yuri, I'll do this for you. And he sent me over the first file and it was such a beautiful storytelling of why he joined the Territorial Defense Army in Ukraine and why yeah. he wanted to do this and why he wanted to defend his country and cast aside his um, life as a journalist to defend Ukraine. And it very clearly, I think, you know, when I saw his request, I thought this is of historical significance. What Yuri's doing, yeah. I don't think it's ever been done before. And the way that he is able to tell stories in such a succinct and rich way really speaks to how good he is, what he does. Yes, absolutely. So Yuri, please know, you know, that for, for those of us that aren't there, it's something where we really, you know, we really see the, or, you know, hear the, the full picture of the experience that, that you're in and that you're having, you know, it's not, it's not a front line. It's, it's a very complete picture. Um, and, and you've spoken on, I want to talk a little bit about the episodes now, because you've spoken about a, a real breadth of subjects, right? Uh, you know, from a literal wedding. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, and you and you mentioned quite a few times uh, going out on patrol. So, um, you know, beforehand you were a journalist um, and w were around military, but weren't you know directly in in a unit. And now you're part of the Territorial Defense Army. So, what does an average patrol look like for you? Um, <laughs> Uh, today's episode is dedicated to 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 you know to working as a as a as an opposite guy because for years I've been in Middle East and Central Asia the guy who you know who was trying to to do something that guys on the checkpoints prohibited me to do but now I'm the guy you know who who prohibits something to to, to foreign journalists to do on the on the checkpoints yeah we are working on the checkpoints we are working on the petals um, you see we have even in Kiev. We have a lot of when I'm, you know, when I'm telling that uh, uh, that Russia is worse than ISIS, uh, uh, I can also tell that uh, uh, Russia uses, you know, the methods of ISIS. So ISIS had sleeping cells all around the Western world and not, uh, Eastern world and even in Europe, uh, maybe in in New Zealand and Australia and so on. So Russia also made before the war the huge net of uh, sleeping cells uh, in Ukrainian cities. So uh, the main mission of the people from territorial defense units who are working inside, who are serving inside Kyiv, is to find, detect, and fight these saboteurs, these people from, these persons from sleeping cells of, uh, of Russian gangsters. So the main mission is to check uh, cars to check pedestrians to look at their papers to talk to them and uh, trying to um, trying to detect if they are nervous if they are trying to hide something if they uh, spoke not if they are speaking not so uh, local uh, with not not a local accent or using some kind of uh, uh, not uh, Ukrainian uh, words or so uh, we need to check and detect 
all the potential and real saboteurs and to uh, to give them to uh, to counterintelligence services. Of course, time after time, it is uh, you know fight interrupting on the um, checkpoints or uh, right on the streets. Uh, sometimes people uh, call us uh, to to one of our headquarters or to another of our headquarters call us and tell, oh, we think that in our house or close to our house there are some kind of um, enemy activity. Or we, uh, or we think that our neighbors uh, who, you know, who moved to this flat, to flat close to us only weeks before the war, we think that they are Russian spies. Please uh, come here and... Uh, uh, and find out. So a lot of people in territorial defense units are literally going, you know, door to door, uh, speaking to people, arresting uh, the people who have, for example, some kind of, uh, you know, of uh, mm, not so well documents or who have forged documents. So this is, you know, everyday activity to to fight the, and to find, to search and to fight the Russian spies, Russian saboteurs inside Ukrainian cities and towns. Wow. Okay. And 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 that's daily. Is that right? Yeah, it's daily. Of okay. course, it's all around the clock. The people are doing this war, work all around the clock. You, I told you that there are tens of thousands of people in territorial defense units. Tens of thousands. Yeah. In so every are, are city, you, in every town, in every region, there are a lot of such people. Right. Are you are you at the checkpoints? I mean, daily for you personally, is that is that more uh, where you're stationed? Uh, I've worked. I've worked. You know, as a fixer, as a guide for uh, uh, for a foreign journalist. For yeah, which is important of, to to share what's happening. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For a part of the day, and other part of the day, I'm on the positions with my comrades uh, from our platoon. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, the, one of the reasons I started to do podcasts is first of all, uh, I cannot make any pictures or videos. You know, because we can't we can't do anything which can disclose our Put positions to, at risk. to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I yeah. can't make photos, I can't make videos, I can't, you know, I can only tell yeah. about what's going on around me. So that's why I started to, to make in podcasts, that's why I decided to do it in a, such a way, you know. Even now, uh, I can't talk to you from our positions. Even now, um, I was, I, I'm on the leave, you know, I need to, to leave my positions. I came to my former radio station, it's in the state of, you know, if oh, it's in the state of evacuation now. I'm sitting in a studio which I was working for a few years in this studio. Wow. But now it's almost empty. I can show you the studio in here. Uh, there are some people still inside of this, you know, this radio station. They are working all around the clock, day by day. Some of the girls with, uh, with whom I worked here during the peacetime, it was <laughs> not so long ago. But now we are evacuating for, yeah. um, for for another part of Ukraine. So I can I can show you this. Wow! And this is the radio station where you worked for yeah, several this, years. Yeah, this okay. this this is this is one of uh, of our um, uh, studios inside this radio wow. station. Yeah. And how does it feel? I mean, what's the feeling being in that space, somewhere you went daily, you know, to work at your job? you know, what, what is the feeling that you get being in the same space, but having so many things removed and knowing that you're, you know, you don't know when you're going to come back. You know, I, I, I left my home, uh, a month ago. And since when I've never been at my, at my place, uh, yeah. it's, it's on the other, it's on the other bank of the Dnipro river. So it's not so easy to get there for me while I'm in the army. But this uh, this radio station is really close for, for from our positions. So uh, so for me, it's almost like coming home. You know, it's almost like you know, like a returning for 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 the times before the war, like a returning in the times in a peaceful and calm times. So yeah, when I'm here, I'm 
I'm feeling myself almost, almost at home. Not really at home, but almost at home. Right. So there's that sense of familiarity because this is a space yeah. you've spent even so much in the, time even in. Even in this situation when is uh, oh. everything you know is you know is moving, everything is sending in other parts of Ukraine, everything is you know remounting and so on. Absolutely, and I think it's something where that sense of comfort is, or that sense of familiarity is, is so comforting. Um, and it, it sounded like, and you know, when we were preparing for the interview, I didn't want to ask any specifics because of security concerns. Um, and I love what you said about um, as a podcast. You know, it, there's no visuals. Um, I think I saw a TikTok about somebody accidentally revealing a location for the army, and um, that became a target because of that kind of thing. So it's definitely something that is a risk. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's such an important aspect that you mentioned about specifically the podcast. And then when you mentioned the, the familiarity and how, and how comforting that is, um, that you can't be at your house now, but it sounds like maybe some of the other people, you know, that are serving in the territorial defense army are able to stay in their houses at night. Um, and, and, no, no. no. Okay. We, sh yeah. we should spend nights only in barracks. But uh, if someone is, uh, you know, is living close to his barracks, someone is li close living to his position, yeah. he can, uh, from time to time, he can sometimes get, you know, um, get the permission to go where uh, to to wash his clothes, to take right, the shower, okay. To, okay. to change clothes. But but with uh, um, with. Uh, uh, we have an option that he will take some of his of his comrades with him. Yeah. So you can't yeah, go, okay. you know, alone. You need to you need to to help your colleagues. You need to help your comrades to, to also to take shower, to to wash their clothes, and so on. Right. Absolutely. And in terms of of seeking out things that are familiar, um, is there anything else that people you know have been finding comfort in that have? Um, that have joined the Territorial Defense Army, um, anything that's familiar that has brought comfort that you've noticed within your unit or the Army in general? You know, I've, for for this month, I've been sleeping in a sleeping bag right on the floor. And I can't remember, I can't remember the times when I was sleeping in the bed, you know? And uh, I can't, I can barely remember, you know, hardly remember the times before before the army, so I can tell that people all around me were becoming my my friends, were becoming almost my family. So we, of course, we are trying to to help each other. Of course, we are trying, you know, to comfort each other. Of course, we are talking about uh, nice things. We are joking on each other. We are, you know, we are trying to 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 to, to make some kind, you know, of. Uh, Keep of, your spirits uh, up, yeah. Of, uh, of almost, you know, of almost home atmosphere. Uh, it's really, really hard to me to to explain it uh, uh, for people outside, you know, this world. I can't explain it in a in a in a simple world in a simple words, but uh, uh, in a few words. And uh, the, the longer story I, I can tell you also because it. I, I think it it take me about a couple of hours to 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 try even to try to explain what's going. But trust me, yeah, uh, everything is all right. Everything is you know is is great uh, inside the territorial defense units. Everything is great inside police units and uh, army units, uh, and uh, everyone is ready and to 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 protect the country to to defend our freedom. And we are, you, I told you, we are, you know, just like one family. It's, it's true. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, some kind of figure of, uh, of speech. It's true. It's really, it's really is. Wow. Well, I'm going to reintroduce you for everyone joining us here live. And for the replay, we're joined today by Yuri Mastarsky and Stevie Manns. Yuri is a Ukrainian journalist based in Kyiv who spent the majority of his career covering war zones and has teamed up with Stevie Manns, a podcast consultant and producer based out of the U.S., to create the podcast Fighting for Ukraine that documents Yuri's daily experience on the front lines of the war in Ukraine. And we do have a chat here, so if anybody does have any questions for Yuri and for Stevie, drop them in. Um, and I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, when when you started the podcast, it was really to share 
the daily experience that you're having on the ground. Um, and as the episodes have continued to come out, it seems that there is um, not necessarily like a specific thread or narrative, but it really documents your experience. Um, and I think this question is for both of you. Um, what is your hope for the work that you're sharing? Um, you know, hopefully when there's peace in Ukraine, you know, for, for documenting what's happening and, and your experience on the ground, um, because it is so unique, uh, to be candid, it's, it's such a unique, um, way of sharing your experience with the world. Um, do you have any intention for sharing the work, um, and, and how it will be, um, maybe not perceived in future, but how it will, will document what's going on, um, for the future. So Yuri, let's start with you and then we'll jump in with Stevie. Oh, for sure, I will make some kind, you know, of hiatus uh, uh, in the next few days because uh, I wouldn't wouldn't be able to to write uh, and uh, I wouldn't be able to uh, have even my phone with me. But uh, I really want to continue after my returning to Kiev, after my returning to my barracks. I really want to continue this work because I think it's really necessary to try to to explain people in the West what's what's going on in Ukraine in reality. Uh, first of all, we need, we still need your aid. First of all, we still need, you know, the help from the Western countries, from Western governments, and from Western, uh, from Western people. Uh, this is it was, you know, this was my main, uh, my main goal to while I when I'm starting this podcast to to explain people what's going on and to make people wish to help us even more uh, because you know we we are still under death threat from the from the russian federation we're still targeting ukrainian cities and towns we're still killing civilians every day in dozens so i really hope that in a not a constant future i really hope that maybe in a next week or in a few days i can tell you a story about the new anti-rocket systems or the new uh, American or European planes which is coming uh, to Ukrainian army to protect uh, the skies and to protect, uh, to defend people uh, in Kharkiv, in Mariupol, in Sumy, in Kherson and so on. We will not use these these weapons for, uh, you know, for targeting uh, Russian civilians, Russian cities or Russian regions. We only needed to protect our civilians. So uh, I think I think uh, I'll continue to to cover the stories about what's going on in Ukraine even after our victory, because you know the victory is only. I think it would only the beginning of the total rebuilding of Ukraine because we have such uh, losses right now. We have we have such a damages right now. We have you know minefields. Uh, I think we can compare uh, it with Belgium, the territory of minefields in Ukraine. It's it's like Belgium or even you know larger than Belgium. So I think it 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 will it will last for maybe for months, but I think it it can last for years. Yes, absolutely. I, I think, you know, with the conflict and the nature of it um, being, you know, so violent and so intense, um, I think also when you mentioned Kharkiv and how in two weeks there was more bombing um, than the entire it's, it's, it's uh, about, it's Second about Kharkiv. World War. It's Kharkiv. Right. It's not, it's, it, it was in, in Kharkiv. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned that earlier. Um, just the, just the, the sheer volume of it. It, yeah, it's definitely something where um, so much has changed in such a short period of time. Um, Stevie, I want to direct this question to you as well, um, because being, you know, across the world in the United States and, and seeing the experience that you're having on the ground documented as it, as it creates almost a body of work. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I think the significance of what Yuri is doing can't be understated. Um, 
I remember when I was at school and I was learning history and you know, you're seeing all of these black and white photos of World War II and World War One, and you're like, you know, when you're when you're that age, you're wondering how on earth it is relevant for you. And I think what Yuri is doing is making history real. He's making it human. He's making a connection with somebody. And podcasting is such an intimate way to make that connection. You're hearing stories from Yuri, a real person. You're hearing not only his stories, but those of the people that are around him. You're hearing about his daughter's birthday that he missed. You're hearing about the plea of an old lady who experienced World War II and who is probably going to, she, you know, she may, she will see out her life um, in the next few years. She she came into it with the Nazis bombing and she's seeing it out with the Russians bombing. Um, you're hearing about a wedding this week. You're hearing all of these really human stories. And I really hope, one, that it, it helps people to connect with the conflict. And I think conflicts around the world can can feel far away and I think this is a way of for for people to really connect to it and to really get involved with the politics of something that is not near but Yuri reminds us every day that this is near this might be in Ukraine but the the political ramifications and the geopolitical ramifications of this are far-reaching and it it does affect everyone Um, so I, I certainly hope that people find a way to connect to that as well as the the historical significance of it for years to come. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what you mentioned, it's, it's, it's definitely something where we're watching world history unfold very quickly and in near real time. You know, Yuri, when we were coordinating this interview, um, you know, it was, I, uh, we, we were originally going to schedule it further in the future. And we realized like, this is so imminent and it's such a time right now that is, you know, so the landscape is changing so quickly uh, that it's important to document things as they happen, as soon as they happen, that kind of thing. Um, and the way that you've done it is just incredible. So thank you again for sharing this work. Um, I want to, I want to ask one more question. Um, but before I do, will mention uh, you've created a GoFundMe crowdfunding campaign and we'll post the link here in the comments that's in the description for both the YouTube live and the LinkedIn description of the event. So if you want to support Yuri's GoFundMe crowdfunding campaign, that's the link is directly there. Um, and we've had podcasters ask us how they can support. So um, what are the different ways that people can support you and the people of Ukraine? Um, what do people on the ground need? And um, as you know, we're coming from a community of podcasters. Is there anything specific that that podcasters can do? I think the main thing the podcasters, the journalists, the producers can do is to talk as more as po- as much as possible about what's going on in Ukraine. To find people from Ukraine who can tell their stories, find people who can describe what's going on every day in Ukraine. It's really important for you know for. Um, for for us in here, and I think it's really different for all the people in the free world because you know it's not just a war of Russia against Ukraine. It's a war against you know it's a war against democracy. It's a war against freedom. So this is you know this is our common or common war. We can't you know stay aside one from another. So uh, it's really really important for people. Uh, who are you know involved in such a thing as podcasting or journalism to understand it and to make our people understand it it's not you know the war about surviving of ukraine it's a war about surviving the democracy and the freedom at least in europe absolutely absolutely and i think it's something where podcasters as a community we can share we can speak about what's going on. We can share your podcast, um, specifically. So I think it's, 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 that's a great answer, honestly. Um, and if I may just add there, I would, you know, a huge thank you to Jordan Harbinger who interviewed Yuri last week and has been really helpful about promoting Yuri's work, the podcast and, and, you know, helping with the GoFundMe as well. You know, people like Jordan to, to get him to, to highlight the podcast and feature it has been wonderful. And, and likewise with, with other podcasters as well. Thank you very much. And we really appreciate spreading the message. Absolutely. I think, you know, this is such a, this work is, um, so important and the way that you're sharing 
the full spectrum of your experience um, so generally, generously with us. Thank you so much. Um, and it's something where I think as more and more people um, hear about what's going on on the ground, I think it really adds a human element. Because when we see things on the news, um, you know, it, it's definitely different than when you hear someone's voice about what's specifically going on for them. Um, you know, being at a wedding in, on the front lines, you know, or, uh, missing your daughter's birthday, you know, because those are, those are very human experiences. Um, and I think there is a general, um, lack of humanity sometimes in the way that we describe conflict and war. So I think that your perspective is so unique and important. Um, I'll just ask our last question and then, um, I'll read a couple of comments and then I'll read our outro. So, um, our last question is what are you both hopeful for? Um, Yuri, I think maybe in terms of what's going on in Ukraine and, and the peaceful future that you envision. Yeah. What are you hopeful for? I hope for a returning of all the occupied territories. I hope that very soon the war would be over and we can return to our civilian professions. We can continue to do what we are used to do. I really hope to see all my family again in Ukraine and I really want to hug my daughter. I've so, I saw her last time more than a month ago. She's a refugee. My parents are refugees. I want all the refugees to come back where are, you know, there are more than 10, 10 millions, there are more than 10 millions of Ukrainians left their homes. Almost half of these people are right now in the foreign countries, just like my daughter and like my parents. Uh, more than half of all the children in Ukraine left their houses, you know, more than a half of all the children of all the nation, you know, left their houses. It must be stopped, you know. So I really want all these people to, 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 to come back to our homeland and to build our prosperous, rich and happy, happy Ukraine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I think for, for everybody out there, you know, I think many people have seen the footage of people leaving the country, you know, uh, and evacuating. And from my understanding, um, I believe that Ukrainian men who are of adult age weren't permitted to leave. Is that correct? No, the people, you know, of, uh, people, all the, all the uh, men who can serve in the army are not permitted to leave. Only women uh, kids uh, um, and uh, uh, elderly men can leave Ukraine. So, you know, the largest part, the hugest part of, uh, of refugees is women and kids. Right, absolutely. And, you know, just hearing that, you just, you know that the, the overall landscape of the population has drastically changed. So I think to be together again and to be whole in that way um, and the way that you've expressed it is, is so important. Um, because, you know, when we think about demographics of a society, no matter where we're coming from, to to have specific demographics leave in that way um, must really just change. First of all, you know, from a population standpoint, there's less people, but also there's less children. Um, absolutely. Um, well, we do have a couple of comments. Um, one uh, from Sandy is excellent use of podcasting to share powerful, important stories. And Yuri, your reports have been sobering and impactful. Stevie, you are wonderful to be a lifeline to bring these stories to the rest of the world. So I think a lot of us out there are really appreciative for the work that you're doing. Um, and we're so grateful you're able to join us here today. Um, I'll just read our brief outro for everyone who's joined us here live. And if you're joining for the replay, we're here today with Yuri Mastarsky and Stevie Manns. Yuri is a Ukrainian journalist based in Kyiv who spent the majority of his career covering war zones and has te teamed up with Stevie Manns, a podcast consultant and producer based out of the U.S. to create the podcast Fighting for Ukraine that documents Yuri's daily experience on the front lines of the war in Ukraine. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so grateful that you could share your story and speak about um, the podcast Fighting for Ukraine and the experience that you've been able to share here with us today. Um, for everyone who's joined us, thank you again for joining Storytelling Podcast Week and um, brought to you by Pod.
Podbean. We're a podcast hosting and monetization platform and home to over 600,000 podcasts. So if you'd like to start your own podcast, you can go to podbean.com today. Um, and if you'd like to support Yuri, um, either by listening and sharing to Fighting for Ukraine or donating to his GoFundMe, all of those links are in the notes of the live stream here and the recording, whether you're watching via YouTube or via LinkedIn. So thank you all so much for joining us here today. And um, Yuri, we wish you well. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Norma Absolutely. Thank you, Stevie.